everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm going to be continuing our coverage on Night Force here. And that means my buddy Dr. Ange is joining me. We're going to cover the next storyline in this episode, which is basically two and a half issues. And then we'll just have that last storyline to go, which is four issues. And we're not 100% sure yet if we're going to do two episodes with two issues each or all in one shot. But, you know, either way, we're going to finish out this series and you can look forward to that. But for right now, get ready for this uh, new storyline here. And very interesting storyline. And we had a lot to say about it. So stay tuned. Betty said he was coming your way. How about a monster for breakfast today? What's wrong, Frank? They all ran away without having my Frankenberry cereal. The cereal with oodles and oodles of strawberry-flavored marshmallows. Wow! And Frankenberry's part of this good, nutritious breakfast. And remember, Count Chocula. Now go away. How about a monster for breakfast today? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And uh, in this recording, there's going to be continuing coverage of Night Force, which means uh, my pal Dr. Ange is back here. How's it going, Ange? Uh, it's going great. Uh, I'm glad that we're continuing this series and we're going to finish it up. And uh, I'm intrigued to hear what you think about this story that we're covering today. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation, I think. We are going to cover uh, the, the latter half of Night Force number eight. And then nine and ten as well, because that two and a half issues is its own little storyline here, and it's uh, it's it's very strange, it's odd, it's kind of weird, and uh, you know there are a lot of unanswered questions I feel with this one, <laughs> but uh, we're gonna dive into it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's exactly the way that I would say it. It feels like Marv Wolfman is trying to do a lot with this story, but maybe he overextended a little bit because I don't know if it ever really gels. Um, but uh, maybe you'll convince me otherwise. Well, I'll try. (laughs) Um, All right. Yeah. So I don't think we talked about we did talk about the first half of this uh, this comic because it was basically the the uh, ending to the first storyline. But the second half of this uh, Night Force number eight uh, covered covered it at March 1983 um, covers, you know, this uh, intro for the the next storyline beast. And I don't think we talked about the cover. Because the cover is uh, basically based off of the story we're about to talk about now. So why don't we talk about the cover of this one? So what do you think to uh, Gene Colan and Bob Smith's cover here for uh, number eight? You know, this could easily, I feel, I, so first of all, I like it. And, um, and one of the things that I think we talked about in the prior um, issues uh, was that sometimes there would be like a dominating color on the cover. And here there's this dark green that sort of like <laughs> covers half of the... Um, uh, of the cover and kind of gives it this moody look. And then there's a guy with a pistol and what really looks like almost like a Cthulhu type or elder God type, like tentacled monster at the top of a staircase with some skeletons. It almost could be the cover of house of mystery or the unexpected, something like that. It really has a horror comic feel to it, right? There's no Baron winters here. This is a new storyline. The characters that we're used to seeing aren't here. Um, so, I, um, I think it's an effective cover. Um, uh, is it a Night Force cover, I think, is the question. Uh, of course, you know, we know that the Baron uses different agents and this guy is the next the next one. What do you think? Yeah, I really like this cover quite a bit, like you said, because it's a it's a straight up horror story. This uh, and horror cover. This is no 
you know, action adventure, spy thriller, you know, uh, also with horror elements jammed into it. This is a, a straight up horror story. It's got some uh, interesting elements to it that, you know, kind of uh, make you wonder what Marv was uh, really getting at here. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that as we uh, dive in. But uh, yeah, overall, like it. I really like this one quite a bit. All right. So, yeah, this is going to be, like I said, the uh, the uh, first chapter of The Beast. And uh, this is a script by, obviously, Marv Wolfman, pencils Gene Colan, inks Bob Smith, colors Michelle Wolfman, and letters Todd Klein. So I'll just uh, uh, fire off this quick little uh, synopsis on the Grand Comics database here. Uh, it says, Baron Winters arranges for Paul Brooks to become trapped in a brownstone with the monster that has been terrifying Miss Conrad. So, okay, a little ambiguous there, but we'll dive right in, and it'll make more sense, hopefully, by the time we're done with it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, this one starts out, like I said, it's it's like in the middle of this issue, and it just says Beast. And it has a splash page of the guy that's on the cover, blonde-haired guy, trench coat, you know, sneakers, jeans. And he's running away from a crime scene. It looks like he's uh, shot and killed someone, and the police are yelling, stop, stop. And uh, another cop says, good God, he just shot that guy. So what do you think of this page here? Uh, so... Colin, I think, definitely is a master, obviously, and he really does a great job of showing that this guy is in motion, right? Because mm -hmm. his hand with the gun is clearly, like, forward, larger. He's done a lot of foreshortening here. That leg that's running um, uh, shows that he's, like, truly in motion against the background. But what's fascinating to me is that, you know, you get introduced to this man, Paul Brooks, and it basically says outright, he is simply put scum. So you know that <laughs> you're not going to, right? This is not a protagonist in any sort of way. And, and I think that's one of the things that I have a little bit of difficulty with with this story is that, you know, Jack Gold and uh, Donovan in the last storyline, they were flawed, um, but they weren't like horrible and this guy paul as we'll learn is is pretty horrible so you know mark sets you right up i am going to give you a protagonist that you're probably not going to like yeah it's interesting like we, we're going to get into here uh you, you kind of wonder what marv was going for with this story because without some of the other elements we'll talk about later you could just throw this out there and it almost does feel like obviously a much longer story but almost like a story you would have gotten in one of the anthology horror books from dc in the 1970s right yeah, yeah. You know, um, there are parts of it that feel like it's science fiction. There are parts of it that feel like it's more horror in the H.P. Lovecraft sort of a way. There are parts of it that feel like a political metaphor. Um, uh, and, and that's where I said, like, as I was reading it, I was trying to say, like, should I be trying to concentrate on, like, one of these? Or should I just kind of let the story wash over me and know that, that Marvel's just wrote a lot of stuff? Um, but you're exactly right. The, the crook that gets a comeuppance. I saw a billion times in the unexpected. So it does feel more horror than anything else. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, this guy, uh, Paul Brooks. Yeah. He's a real creep and Gene draws him that way as well. Like he's, uh, I think Bob Smith did a great job of the inks here. Cause he kind of let Gene go. And you know, a lot of these pages and panels to me, I won't say they look like Gene just penciled it and there's no inks, but the, the inks are very light, especially, uh, on uh, page 13 of the comic here, but it's like the, the second page of the story here. When you see the cops chasing uh, Paul down this alleyway, he looks real creepy, but it, it almost looks like, you know, just pencils there, like are very, very light inks, and they, it makes him look creepier to me. What do you think? 
Yeah, he's got this like strange, he's like balding on top and he's got long scraggly hair and uh and it it he does look, you know, a little bit monstrous. You know, the the panel right before it, he shoots a kid, right? So, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I think we start off um you know, smack dab in the middle of whatever this crime chase is. Uh, and, and it's just strange that, that this is, it's very clear. This is going to be a character that we're going to get to know very, very well. Marv gives him a lot of backstory and, and does make him hor- horrible, both in look and in character. Yeah. And like you said, right away, he shoots this kid that he kind of had as a, a bit of a hostage here for a few seconds and shoots the kid and runs off and the cops come after him and he shoots back at them. And, um, it's funny, you see this crazy scene playing out, and a, a bunch of people go crazy, and it's like, you know, a riot going on almost, because people are in the neighborhood, and they hear gunshots, and they see this crazy guy, so they start running, and they get in the cop's way, and he gets away from the cops, but <laughs> then we switch to Baron Winter's home, and uh, this is an interesting scene here. He has this woman, uh, Miss Conrad is her name, and she says... Uh, you know, I'm I'm going crazy because all my friends are still trapped in this, you know, brownstone that I live in. And he's just like, uh, you know, what what are you talking about here, lady? What's going on? And she tries to tell him that, you know, there's something going on at this uh, this crazy like brownstone apartment complex that she was living in where there's some kind of like, uh, I don't know if she refers to it as a creature, beast, alien, something that's uh, kind of, uh, you know, got everybody uh, in captivity there. It's It's pretty interesting. But then immediately we switch right back to Paul Brooks and he's still running from the cops and he actually shoots a cop. And man, this scene here is really creepy. He busts into a flower shop and he's going to take this lady working in this flower shop hostage. And he grabs her and she bites him. Yeah. And he, and he pistol whips her though. It's like, wow. Yeah. You, you know, the artwork there is crazy because, um, you really see her get a big chunk of his hand uh, yeah. in her teeth. Like it's it's a it's almost humorous in the way that that it's drawn. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's funny because you know they, they this is like one of the things that I think that Marv does well here is there are characters in this storyline that move in and out very very quickly, but he gives all of them at least a little moment. So here's this woman. She's she's honestly in five panels the whole story, but he says. Fran Wyatt has been assaulted twice in the past 15 months. She knows the routine and she hates it. And after the last time, she decided not to submit to the routine any longer and fights back. And so that's like a little nugget about this character. But then she's gone. Right. Um, Yeah. uh, Which I think is one of the things that you'll see in this story is there are people who fight back and there are people that don't fight back. And you get the sense which way Marv thinks we should go. Yeah, and it is interesting. You know, she bites him, and he, like I said, pistol whips her, knocks her out, and he has the balls to call her filth because yeah. she bit him. I'm like, uh, dude, <laughs> you're really the textbook definition of filth. She's just fighting back. I wouldn't call that filth. I would call that, you know, having courage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he steps outside and gets blasted by one of the cops in the arm, and he takes off and starts running. And then I do really love page 17 here, too. It's one of these pages where it shows him running, in the top corner panel. And then we go back to Miss Conrad telling the Baron about living in this brownstone. And we get some exposition there and everything. I, I just, I love how this page is set up. You know, I think it, you know, Marv between the exposition and Gene and uh, Bob Smith with the uh, artwork here. I think this is a really, really good page. And it does show how, you know, she says that she was living in this building 
and she's looking out her window one night and she sees a, a falling star. And I thought, well, I'm kind of getting, uh, you know, the blob vibes here, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you one thing I like about that page. And again, it's small things that make comics so wonderful is she's holding a cup of tea, there's steam coming out of it. And then it's almost as if the steam is the panel uh, border bleeding into her flashback. So it kind of has like the, you know, like the Waynes were like, flashback feel, but it's also the steam from her tea. So it just kind of does make that whole panel progression. It's one big panel, but it's clearly two. He, I mean, Colin's a master. We'll we'll say that a million times, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then again, you turn the page, and here's some more really good artwork, you know, by Jean. And we get, uh, you know, her being very descriptive, this Miss Conrad, about what she saw that night. And she says at one point, only the light just stopped. Well, I went back to work a little relieved and a little disappointed, almost like she was expecting something to happen. And I thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> falling stars really usually don't do much, lady. But she just, I don't know, maybe she has some kind of like, you know, tiny little bit of psychic ability or something like that, that she knew this was not going to go well. Yeah, she, you know, she says, I was uh, like a cat staring at a candle. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I thought for sure there was going to be an explosion. Um, but obviously one didn't come. But I, that's, you know, I didn't even think about that, that maybe she is somehow like almost like Vanessa and that she can sense something because certainly uh, things play out poorly for the next year for the people in this building. Yeah, that's it. We jump right into it on that same very page there. It's uh, the caption says, I went to sleep and forgot about it, but my nightmare had only begun. One of my neighbors, Steve Burke, he's a salesman at Macy's, always gets me things on his discount. Well, from what I heard, he went down the stairs checking on the noise he heard. I don't think he even knew what killed him. And this is where we get the first uh, you know, scene here of this, like you said, Lovecraftian kind of creature that obviously they're trying to insinuate came from outer space and was this like falling shooting star, whatever you want to say, right? Yeah. And again, I'll just point out, right? He was a salesman at Macy's who always got me something on his discount, right? This personalizes this guy, which I think makes us feel a little bit more from, oh, this was a nice guy, just mm -hmm. cut down, right? It's not just like, oh, my neighbor. We we know a little bit more about him. Yeah, it's really cool. And it says, Mrs. Murphy saw what happened and tried to escape, but the door refused to open. And that's going to be a running theme until one point uh, in this book here, or I shouldn't say in this book, in this storyline and it's really interesting because I do have some questions about that. So, yeah. you know, the, the door at this brownstone, you know, where all these people live in these apartments will not open. And, you know, they couldn't even break a window like it, it shows her trying to, you know, get out or so. I'm sorry. It shows Terry Kane trying to smash the windows to get out and like windows won't break. Doors won't open almost as if uh, this, you know, alien entity has some kind of power beyond just the physical that it can almost have like a, for lack of a better term, like a, a force field around this brownstone that you, you cannot get out. Yeah. And, and of course this is like, you know, you try to understand the motivations of this alien. And this is another thing that I've been sort of struggling with as we read this, but yeah, this thing has encased this building. They can't escape except for Miss Conrad, right? Where she says, mm -hmm. um, I couldn't. And then yesterday, a full year later, I found the door open and I ran. And so did this thing want her to leave? Did this, was there just some, something weird that happened because it was the anniversary? Does she have something that we don't know about? Um, and we don't, we'll never get the answer of how she escaped. 
um, and therefore gut the Baron to sort of help things out. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because she said she called the cops and they actually sent a guy over and he went inside and came back out and said he didn't see anything. And she says, I tell you, he was hypnotized. But then she says uh, to the Baron, my friends need help, Baron Winters. Please, please help them. And he's, she goes, I'll pay you anything. And he goes, Miss Conrad, of course I'll help. And he says, but your problem requires a special agent. I simply can't ask one of my regulars. The odds that are that this is a suicide mission. Whoever I send will most likely die. And, you know, uh, a good segue here right into Paul Brooks uh, running around uh, not too far from the Baron's place. And he's got his gun and he's holding his arm from being shot. And uh, The Baron, I assume, is the one who creates all this fog all around for him to escape uh, the cops because Detective Short and his uh, boys are uh, right, out, right on his tail, hot on his trail. He sees Baron Winter's house and he knocks on the door and comes in. And Baron Winters is like, oh, come on in, pal. You know, we'll we'll fix you up nice here and gives him a drink and slips him a Mickey. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it, we have learned in that last storyline, you might remember there's that point where the Baron opens up his book and is like, oh, let me see which agents I should activate. Oh, that guy's dead. Oh, sh- her leg is still <laughs> broken, right? Oh, that guy is like maimed. So it's not as if he is, you know, dead. Uh, only sends people onto missions that he knows they won't get injured. God knows we saw Donovan. There was Whoa. less than more of him at the end of the storyline, right? But, um, yeah. uh, but he knows that it's unlikely that somebody will survive. And and he he knows that the assets he has in his agents. So why not send somebody that is reprehensible uh, in hopes that they'll do what he wants to do? And yeah. Paul Brooks is scum. We, we're told that on page one. So, Yeah, I think the Baron's looking at it like two birds with one stone here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he does offer the guy brandy, and he goes, yeah, you only got something stronger. And the Baron goes, sorry, just brandy. And the guy downs it and goes, that'll do, pops. <laughs> the Baron <laughs> pops. But uh, we see something going wrong here. The guy, this tastes, tastes, oh, God. And he drops it and falls down. And. Like I said, the Baron slipped him something there and knocked him out and picked him up and put him on the doorsteps of this brownstone. So we all know where this is going to go. So (laughs) he wakes up and there's a couple of cops creeping around and he goes, can't let him get me. And he goes into the brownstone, but then he tries to go right back out and he goes, huh? Locked. And he goes, damn doors locked. And he turns around and here we go. Right. Yeah, there's this thing at the top of the stairs. And it's funny because, you know, he is obviously in the Washington, D.C. area because he runs to the Baron's house, but he gets transported to New York. He doesn't know he's in New York, right? So he's like, oh, the cops Mm -hmm. just walked by. They weren't looking for me. Of course not, right? You're 600 miles (laughs) away um, from, uh, from where they think you are, but this is the Baron. And then the question is that I'll ask you is, how do you think he got him there? Do you think that there's some magic door in the mansion that opens up? Um, cause the Baron can't leave. Right. Um, so we'll never know that answer either, I guess. I, yeah, I'm thinking there's a door that opens and it went right to that hood and, yeah. uh, the, the, the cheetah carried a guy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Merlin. Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like on that very last panel when he turns and sees this creature, which I really like how they portrayed the creature here and on the cover where, You can kind of see what it's got going on, but it's in shadow a bit that there's some mystery there as well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in particular, at the end of this, it's like a black heap with and, you know, 
it's like hairy tentacles, right? Or are they yeah. like insect legs or something? It, whatever it is, it's, it's gross. Um, uh, so, so I love the look on Paul's face when he sees it. He is like shocked. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I love Mars caption boxes. Uh, Paul Brooks turns and knows he has taken his final trip. Welcome to hell. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, there's the creature at the top of the stairs with these claw-like looking feet, but these crazy, like you said, they're like almost like tentacle arms, but they're almost like hairy. It's it's really creepy. And then there's a skeleton on the stairway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was really, really good opening there. Uh, you know, again, that was only half of the book, but still a, a pretty, pretty darn good intro there, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that um, if I, and again, uh, you know, if you liked the first story, which went seven and a half issues, and you read this back end, you would say, all right, more of the same, uh, I'm still on board, and I would get the next issues. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and then we're going to, you know, get into issue number nine here, and things are going to take a little bit of a turn here as far as the tone and possibly the uh, message behind the comic here you know obviously it, you know, different people can interpret things different ways i think there are some things that are just not very up for debate he what marvel was really trying to say here but uh let's jump into that one so this is night force number nine cover dated april 1970 or i'm sorry 1983 and uh, again gene cole and bob smith cover here so what about this cover this one's a little more specific here right yeah, you know, um, it's uh, we're talking about the days of um, the spinner rack, right? And so mm -hmm. oftentimes the bottom half might not be visible unless it was in the front. Um, so this is like the top half is the Baron's mansion and the Baron almost in serpent. And then the bottom half is, again, this creature that now you get a little bit more definition. It's got eyes. It's got those clawed feet. It has tentacles. And then it looks like it has an enormous like nose tentacle. So it's pretty gross. Um but you get the sense, okay, the threat is the alien, and we know who the Baron is. He's trying to take care of this. I like this one a lot. Yeah, I love this cover, and I especially love the Baron. I like the, the house with the moon and like the, the fog or whatever clouds, uh, wispy clouds in the background as well. Although I will question where is this house because it looks like it has like, you know, two acres of plot and yeah. <laughs> the Baron's house has a street right yeah. in front of it. So <laughs> that's a little odd. But again, I love it. And yeah, the creature to me, I like the way it looked better on the cover of number eight and that last panel of uh, number yeah. eight. I am not. I don't know. Again, it doesn't look bad, but it, it just looks OK on the cover it's like a brownish orangish kind of orangish kind of color so it's the monster is just it's just okay it's not bad and it's not great but the barrel looks fantastic yeah i agree yeah he looks really cool so all right let's jump into the inside here so this is a uh, chapter two of the beast called symbiosis and it's script marv wolfman pencils gene colin inks bob smith colors michelle wolfman and letters john costanza and this one uh, reads paul discovers the real horror of the monster that has sealed everyone into the apartment building. So, all right, this splash page, I'm gonna tell you something right now. I think this is my favorite splash page of the whole series. Yeah. yeah. This is um, unreal. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you read it and you're like, this could probably be the splash page of any issue, right? It's not necessarily mm -hmm. specific to this story. It's almost like an intro to what Night Force is and who the Baron is. And I mm -hmm. agree, 
very moody, very moody. You see him blowing out a candle, the, the smoke from the, from the, or the fire from the candle spells out night force. And, you know, and then that, you know, it's very interesting. There's the bottom corner. He's like walking away. He's a mystery, right? He's a mystery even to himself. I love this page. Yeah, the text reads, in the murky darkness of a house which should not exist lives an enigma. He is uncomfortable existing in time, belonging perhaps to no time, yet existing in all. Why he is here, he cannot tell, but he is here nonetheless, existing like some shadow frozen in a moment of light. He calls himself Baron Winters, but if that is his true name, not even he remembers. Now, I got to tell you, if that was the opening you know, paragraph to a, a novel, about stuff like this, I'd be all in. I'd be buying that. No, 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 I'm with you. And I'm even mm. thinking that, like, if this was the first page of the first issue, yeah. I would be like, boom, right? You know, so mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it crackles. Yeah, so, man, you flip to that next page. And again, we get the same shot that we had from that last panel in uh, issue number eight, but from the monster's perspective here, or alien, maybe, whatever you want to call it, uh, this is an interesting shot. It's, again, in, from the perspective of this monster, and we see Paul cowering by the door saying, God, and then there's that skeleton, and that looks creepy as ever. It's like a, it looks probably a woman in a dress. I'm not sure who that was supposed to be, but, oh, it looks nasty. Yeah, yeah. The fact that the clothes are still on it just makes it, like, that much creepier, right? You know, like, mm -hmm. how did this thing, like, eat its flesh but leave the dress intact. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, man. Yeah, that's creepy. My notes say Paul meets the thing from another world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so right away, he just does what he knows. He just starts shooting at it. And he says, that, I'm sorry, the caption box reads, in this particular case, lesson one is meaningless and lesson two is impossible. His shots are absorbed into the beast's skin and they prove less annoying than the moist touch of a single flake of snow so again there's that word moist <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right and, <laughs> yeah and again those lessons that you talk about right this is we're going to learn a lot about paul and the lessons that he learned right he's learned two things lesson one take what you want lesson two shoot first and shoot to kill right you know mm -hmm. he is not a good guy so yeah no he's awful but i i love this because you can tell a guy who was used to being the bully is scared here and that's great yeah. i love seeing that he says to himself lord what's going on what's happening where am i god where am i and all of a sudden you hear this how did you get in here and there's a woman at the top of the stairs and she's standing right next to this creature so of course you're thinking to yourself is is she that creature's master is she a slave of the creature you're like what is going on here and very quickly we're going to see what's going on here and yeah you know, like we said this is a huge huge contrast compared to the first storyline yeah, I agree. And you're right. You see that first panel. The first thing you think of is that, like, she is in its thrall or that she is, like, a sorceress and this is, like, her, you know, defending beast. Mm -hmm. But that's not where we are. The next page, we, we learn completely where we're going here. Yeah, and it's funny, too. She says, how did you get inside? The door's always locked. And he says, it wasn't. I let myself in. And she said, it's not locked, but it is always sealed. Let me try. And she walks right past the creature and goes down there and tries to open the door. And it won't open. So did the Baron unlock the door to let him in? Or did the creature unlock the door to let him in to have another yeah, slave, victim, whatever you want to call it? And we never find out the answer to that question or how Miss Conrad got out, which is interesting to me because I think to myself, 
well, if it was the Baron that did this, why didn't the Baron just let get the door open and try to get the people out through another means rather than what happens? Yeah, you know, for, for me, I just thought, like, it, it's a one-way door. This alien probably doesn't mind having more people come in. Um, and mm-hmm. maybe he's just trying to not have people leave. But then I thought, you know, we learned whatever. There were six families in there. And at one point there were 17 people. And they've been trapped there for a year. Like, what about like family and friends, right? Like, mm-hmm. does the alien somehow like make people forget that these people exist? Or, um, or did anybody else come to try to like get in? And so this is the thing, right? You think about the story a little bit too long. And trust me, I'm used to, you know, people getting, <laughs> you know, vaporized by nuclear bombs and waking up as Captain Adam. And I'm like, fine. But if you think <laughs> about this story too long, you're like, you know, I have more questions than answers. Um, and sometimes that can be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, it can. It can. That's why I try to always just keep everything very surface. Um, even when I read something like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. That was very metatextual and very cerebral. I try to just read it like I'm a 10 year old, just because if I try to read too much into it, you you go down, you can either a go down a rabbit hole or B go down a road where you might not agree with what point he's trying to get across. And it might lessen your uh, ability to enjoy the comic. So I try to not do that. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. I think that there are a lot of times that I'll, that I'll come across a plot point that I'm like, Okay, moving on, right? Because if you dwell on it, this one, I think maybe because I was so used to dissecting the first storyline because we read it, I was like, maybe I was expecting a little bit more here um, or maybe more was just hoping that this would be thought provoking, right? It's a mature yeah. comic at a time that there weren't comics labeled for mature readers. So, yeah, and it's funny that Paul is still like out of his mind. The door is locked and he's like, I'm telling you, it was unlocked when what the hell am I talking to you for? And he goes, I want out. Let me out. Unlock it. And she says, unlock it. I already told you the door's sealed shut. The beast won't let us out. And he goes, you're insane. And then (laughs) we get this other guy uh, drunk and his glasses are like (laughs) crooked on his face. Again, he's standing between a skeleton of a dead person and this creature. And he's acting like it's no big deal. He goes, no, pal. Sylvia's as sane as we all are, which isn't saying that much anymore. Friend, the house of the things that go bump in the night welcomes you. Worried about our hairy little beastie, eh? Shucks, you get used to him. I swear he'll grow on you like a cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. And, yeah, that's right. So um, we're starting to pick up what, what's going on that, uh, you know, you can exist with this thing. Um, but we also know that it's a threat because that skeleton is right there. And here's this guy who's like, I can get you whatever drug you want, right? Yeah. Um, he says in the next panel, uh, I can get you anything to abuse your body and mind, um, <laughs> which just says, like, he's fine living here in his, like, drug-induced stupor. Yeah, and it's interesting to me. I feel like if this comic had been written 10 years earlier, the guy would have been like, want a beer, pal? Maybe something stronger or something to smoke. You'll want something to get you through the night, pal. And instead of that next part of the speech bubble, it would have said like, yeah, we love the party here, man. Come on up and have some. But instead it says me and Ted got anything you might want guaranteed to abuse your body and mind. So I do find it interesting that in basically a decade or less, a comic book has gone from being, you know, looking at certain drugs as experimental and mind, uh, you know, opening and fun to 
this stuff is, you know, abuses your mind and body. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting to me how it's like, again, like I said, if I feel like it was written 10 years earlier, it would have gone down a, a very different road. But yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, Paul, what in the hell's going on here? And the girl, don't listen to Mark. Come on up to my apartment. That's 44B or is that 48? I can't even. I, uh, 4B? I think it's 4B. Yeah. Okay. And he, she says, I'll tell you everything over a cup of coffee. So, Mark, uh, coffee, he goes, Sylvia, your coffee doesn't help you forget. You need some other hard stuff. And he goes, tell you, pal, you'll need it. Oh, how you'll need it. <laughs> that's, that's just fantastic. And, and why are you going there? That thing's in the way. And she goes, ignore it. It won't hurt you. He never hurts you unless you try to escape. And he goes, God, how long has it been here? And I think that's Mark, maybe. Or maybe it's Sylvia says, a year, just a year. And he does. He literally walks right past it. And it doesn't even pay him any mind. Yeah, and she steps right over that skeleton. Like you think that they would have like pushed it aside or you know <laughs> you know done something <laughs> with it, but these people are you know they're just used to living in this environment to the point that that doesn't phase them anymore. Yeah, and then we meet another one of the cast of characters here, Mister Murphy, this older gentleman who whips open the door to his apartment and has a shotgun in his hand and kind of points it out and says, don't bother me and the missus trying to watch Merv, <laughs> Merv Griffin, I would think. Don't want yeah, to be bothered. Yeah. Don't want to be bothered. You understand that? And Sylvia says, Mr. Murphy, we've got a newcomer. And he goes, then you listen here. Stay away from me. Got that? Just stay away from Pat Murphy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And, and again, it's introduction to these people and we get a right. Here's an old guy who clearly just wants to be left alone with his wife. Um, uh, the door is not open and he doesn't want to talk to people, um, which might be another way of insulating yourself from everything that's happening. But I love what Paul does in the next page. <laughs> yeah, this is fantastic. Paul just, you know, again, this guy's been a, a hoodlum his entire life. So he isn't really afraid to have a gun kind of pointed in his face. He grabs the shotgun right off the old guy and says, you've got a shotgun. Give it to me. Sure. Sure. Right after I blast this damn beast. So he, he again, a, a shotgun and a pistol do work very differently, but if you know, you have like a, you know, a, a 45 or something there and you blasted this thing and it didn't even flinch. I, I'm sorry. A shotgun really isn't going to do anything either, but he still picks it off the guy and blam, starts shooting it and it does nothing. Yeah. And it, it just shows he, he, right. It, that was the lesson. Shoot first and shoot to kill. Like, there's not a second between him getting that gun and him firing. Yeah, and Paul, oh, God, God, it didn't die. It won't die. And the old guy grabs the shotgun. Give me back my gun. And he says, get away from me. I don't want you near me ever again, mister, or so help me, I'll use this gun, and you'll die. And he slams his door shut. And for some reason, Paul then grabbed his pistol. I don't know if he was going to shoot the old guy or what, but yeah. he then goes to uh, apartment 4B. And uh, goes to see uh, Sylvia and then <laughs> almost shoots a little kid here. This is crazy. Yeah. He, he you know, they, oh, mom said there was a new guy. you got to be him. I'm from 4B. But there it is. Pistol aimed right at the kid's head. Yeah. And the little kid's like, I'm Johnny Brown. Apartment 4B upstairs. He goes, how'd you get inside? The door's been locked for so long. And he goes, that guy, the one in the strange house, I'm starting to remember. He did this to me. He sent me here. I love that because that's a small panel at the top left-hand corner. And then to the right is like, you know, two-thirds or three-quarters of the rest of the panel. It shows uh, Baron Winter's house, and that looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, a nice segue. And he says, 
oh, my latest agent has arrived on the scene by now, and I dare say he's met the creature, right? So he mm-hmm. is the he sent Paul there that as his agent. Yep, it's it's great. And like we said, it, it, partly because he knew the person was going to die and also partly because he knew Paul's a scumbag and he thought, well, if anybody's going to die, why not him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, it's great. He says he deserves some grisly fate handed him. And knowing our judicial system, he'd not only get away scot-free, but he'd probably become a millionaire by writing best-selling books about his crimes. So, you know, <laughs> rather than have that happen, I'm going to send him to his death. <laughs> yeah, and then we switch back to the brownstone. Mother, I found him. And uh, she's like, why don't you go and play now? I want to hear, the little kid says. And she goes, well, all right, be quiet. So he, he says to her, Paul looks at her, Sylvia, and says, where'd you run off to, lady? She goes, sorry, I had to make certain Ray was okay. And Paul says, Ray? And she goes, my husband, say, let me fix your arm. Come on in. And he goes, what about the thing? And she goes, he doesn't hurt anyone, just moves around. Make some noises at times. Smells terribly, but you already know that. And she says, so if you don't try to escape, he won't hurt you. And she and Paul says, he? And there it is on the floor, creeping around. And it looks really disgusting. Yeah, it, it really, it, uh, it was definitely like part of him that just looks like it's oozing slime, right? Oh. Uh, and it is this mixture of like weird ropey tentacles and those clawed feet. It, it really looks gross. And here's where Paul realizes he's in New York and he says, God, that's 300 miles away. How the hell did he do that? And the little kid, why do you have a gun, mister? And Paul, mind your own business, kid, just shut up. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, man. And again, they're really building you up to think, okay, you know, if and when Paul does get it here, everybody's going to enjoy that moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And He's yeah. just a complete bully. Yeah. And now we meet Ray. And Ray is an interesting character. So Sylvia's husband, Ray, uh, Paul looks over at him and says, that's him, your husband? Looks like he's lost his mind or something. And she says, well, it hit Ray harder than it hit me, I guess. He just sits there watching TV most of the time. And he's, this is what Paul says to her. Shame, lady. Maybe you're ripe for a real man, eh? And he goes, did you hear what I said, lady? Because she's ignoring him. And she says, yeah, but I'm not interested. Look, this has been a lousy year. A couple of us were killed right off. The rest, well, most of them gave in. And that's a clue right there as to what's really going on here and I think what Mar's really trying to get at. Yeah, I completely agree, right? This is this is a metaphor about fighting against, um, you know, either a dictator or fascism or somebody that's trying to control you or pen you in. Um, and, you know, you can see the different ways that people respond. And, and one of them is Ray, who has just completely given up, um, isn't even trying to escape. Yeah, it's funny. And then he responds to her like Ray here, huh? big husband turns into a wimp. And he goes, you the only fighter here? And she says, there's uh, there's Dr. Kennedy down in 1A. He hasn't given in yet. And his daughter, JoLynn, and uh, Paul, the fridge is full. Where does the food come from if you can't go out? And this is interesting as well. She responds, the creature. He gives us everything we need, provides us with food, clothing, electricity. We were given a video recorder, and we can get all the tapes as soon as they come out. And then it looks like they have an Atari 2600 there as well. <laughs> yeah, cutting edge, right? Uh, and a large screen TV, and then we just got a home computer. 
Yeah, that's great. I don't know if they got a Commodore 64 because I'm thinking 1982-83 was the first Apple out by then. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe a TRS-80. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, How does this alien do that? Does he just, you know, like, I dream of Genie, blink his eyes and it appears? Or, like, how does that actually happen? Like, the process of him doing it and, like, physically, how does it happen? I that That's another one of those questions. I'm like, you know what? Don't even think about it. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. And that's and, and so you're trying to say it, it's an alien, but is it magical or does it just have, like, teleportation powers or, or all of those things? But but, you know, at the bottom of page 11, close up of the alien. And then Sylvia says it everything we'd want without having to work for it everything but our freedom right and so mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like that you know would you give up security for freedom right you know if you were fed and clothed and, and given a house but you weren't able to do anything you know there might be some people that would say fine right um mm-hmm. uh, so i think that's what we're trying to to talk about here and even on the next page she says you know we'd probably fight before giving into some dictator or something Almost all of us have no strike that not all of us, uh, all of us, not almost right. They've all just given in. So um, mm-hmm. because it's hard to fight, you know, uh, I mean, after a year, uh, who knows how I would feel? Yeah, a year's a long time to try to fight against something that it looks like you have no shot of defeating. That's a year is a yeah. long time for something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, you know, with what we know about the first uh, arc and the whole Russia angle, I thought, is this another like, you know, is this a metaphor for communism? Is that what Marvel was trying to get out here? But <laughs> Sylvia keeps going on and on. And she's basically like, you know, I don't want to say pouring her heart out, but talking about some really, you know, rough subjects here. And this guy's such a meathead. All he can say is, I'm sick of hearing about this lady. Get over here. And he grabs her and starts making out with her. And Ray says, hey, what's going on? Get your hands off my wife. <laughs> Paul points the gun at him and says, shut up, dork, and sit down. Understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know, this is probably the first time that Ray has been roused out of, um, out of his chair. But he immediately <laughs> gives up as soon as there's any sign of like, no, you know, you might have to fight for something. As soon as he sees the gun, he's like, all right. And he sits back down. What's even creepier for me. And I don't think you could get away with it today is that, is that for a moment, it sounds like Sylvia might actually be like, Oh, you know, it's been so long, right. The kiss yeah. sickens her, but it's been so long since she had one. He's an animal, but she wants to be held. I don't think that would in in this era, I don't think that you could get away with even that one panel, even though she fights him off the next page. Yeah, he still has the gun pointed at Ray and Ray goes, yeah, I understand. Sure. And he sits down all casually and waves his arm. And Paul says, better creep. And he goes, now then, lady, where were we? And he tries to, like, jump on her again. And she scratches him right upside the face. Um, Although I will say I don't remember his face being scratched in the rest of the comic, but that's okay. But he clobbers her. And she's just like, you know, I got to get out of here. And he says, I'm a man. Got that more of a man than anyone here. God, you people make me sick. So he's even getting kind of like he's already showing signs of cracking mentally. And he's been in this apartment for what, an hour? Yeah, if that. Right. But what we see is she still is a person of action. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that she won't give in. 
um, and good for her. But you're right; mm-hmm. he isn't. He isn't the. He isn't the most mentally stable guy. Um, so he storms off. Yeah, and she goes over and starts, you know, giving her husband what for because you know he wasn't going to do anything. He was basically going to sit there while that guy, you know, physically assaulted her. But yeah, <laughs> Paul, he just sits there staring at the TV, Ray. But then Paul, he goes down the stairs and goes, "There you are. Good of you to wait here for me." Way I see, all these dorks are scared spitless. They ain't free because they ain't. They gave up trying. Well, buddy, I ain't even begun. I gotta get. I got out of jail before you can keep me penned up here. Die, you stinking thing. Die. And he just keeps shooting at it, which, again, he's a slow learner. It's already not yeah. worked with the pistol, with a shotgun. Why is this going to work? So then he thinks to himself that, oh, well, maybe just bullets don't stop you. But, you know, I can, like, physically, like, assault you and punch you. And huh, how about on page 15 there? I love that top panel. You know, Gene, again, just masterful at showing this motion of him punching and punching and punching this thing. And it's just kind of looking at him like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and again, it's what it's like in the old uh, Superman show, right? Like they shoot him four times, the bullet comes yeah. off, then they throw the gun at him, right? And it's like, <laughs> look, if the bullet didn't do it, like, I don't know if you throw in the gun, will do anything. And so I'm sitting there, you're like, point blank 12 gauge shotgun has done nothing. Do you really think hammering away at it is going to do anything? Um, so it's funny. But page 14 and 15, you know, now you get to hear a little bit about the creature, right? It has come mm-hmm. a million light years away. You know, these are test animals. What does it take to make you give up freedom? What does it take to make you at home in a cage, right? This is, this I think is, is what Marv is trying to get at. And then he, it talks about conquering other plants, right? You know, whatever mm-hmm. at the top of page 15, the natives of Cycacia resisted before succumbing. The tripeds of Ortorilio never succumbed, right? So, mm-hmm. so what what is it about some humans that make them not give in? Um, so, uh, so I think we're starting to get really what this story is supposed to be about. Yeah, and I do like you know thinking about what year this is and what had just come before the previous year. Maybe a little bit of John Carpenter's uh, The Thing here. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Hey, figure it came from a million miles away. This, that. Well, okay. Maybe it's kind of, you know, it's not, you know, it doesn't uh, take your form or anything like that. But I'm just thinking the whole like crazy looking alien here from outer space coming into, you know, Earth and stuff. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and then here come the two uh, burnouts. They pop out <laughs> to basically say, hey, man, Mark and Teddy are here and, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll hook you up. <laughs> Paul says, what are you jabbering about? get away from me. And I kind of feel like, wouldn't they be kind of like, you know, I, I almost feel like somebody of, of Paul's, uh, you know, uh, likes and dislikes would be like, kind of chummy with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's that he's still like, I just got to get the heck out of here. So who are these people that are sort of like in my way? Um, and they are clearly like they've got booze and they talk more about other stuff that that they're ready to take because this creature gives you whatever you desire. And if you like hard drugs, that's what they're going to that's what it's going to give you. Yeah. And it's interesting here. So um, I think it's Teddy. He has his back towards the staircase and he just takes an errant step and falls down and hits his head. Well, at this point, I'm thinking to myself. He we don't know that he's dead. 
at first. Now, eventually it does say the second before Ted dies, he curses the final instant of a man glorifying the concept of excrement. <laughs> and then literally he's like dead for like two seconds. And here comes the creature. And that is disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, it like engulfs him, and then you just hear like glub, gurble, gurble as like the oh. sound of. So you know it's like liquefying him and drinking it in. Yeah, and then on that next page, seventeen up at the top, you see it kind of just like move over him, and it's starting to go down the stairs past him. And there's his skull there with the hair still on it, ribs, a hand. Oh man, is it creepy? Yeah, it is, it's just gross. And there's even, like, his glasses are broken. And then there's something that I just feel has to be, like, either a remnant of his shirt or it could just be, like, you know, intestine. There's something. That whole oh. thing is really gross. Yeah, he did have, like, a yellow kind of shirt on. So I'm assuming that's just part of the clothing. But this is hilarious. So after that disgusting thing, Paul, this big tough guy, he sees that happen. And the other guy just stands there looking like, Oh, well, another one bit the dust. Yeah. But Paul Paul goes running up the stairs, get out of my way. And he goes into Sylvia's house again and goes, got to come in. And he barfs into the toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's mm. it's wild to me. It's such a small panel. And I got to say, I'm just noticing it now that you point out the fact that that guy's like drug addict friend is so blasé about it. Mm -hmm. is really almost as creepy as the guy getting eaten, right? Like, these people mm -hmm. are just defeated. It's really crazy. Yeah, and you figure you're already in a bad place mentally, and if you're constantly, you know, self-medicating with booze and, you know, whatever other kind of drugs, that probably is how you would really act at this point. Yeah. It's crazy. scary, it's scary, but it's true. But, yeah, he pukes in the toilet, Paul, and Sylvia says, what's wrong? And he goes, let me alone, shut up. And the little kid. What is he, mother? And she says, <laughs> I haven't decided, Johnny. Is he the apple in Eden or he is the serpent? I'm like, uh, lady, you really got some like you really your women's intuition must be on vacation. I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah, it's very clear what Paul is. Right. He just tried to attack her two pages ago. Yeah. Right? So so this is not something that you can just easily overlook. Yeah, and I don't know if she's on her Commodore 64 or what here, but she's doing something. I can't tell really what it is. And yeah. he wakes up and he, she says, so you've returned to the land of the living. Can I help you? And he goes, you still would? And she goes, what else could I do? Become like Mr. Murphy. You're going to be here a long time. And he says, don't say that. I can't stay here. This is worse than any damn prison. Don't you have any idea of how to get out of here? And she says, don't you think I'd have tried if I had... Look, we barely know how the thing got here in the first place. And he goes, what What was it doing to that kid? She says, sucking away Ted's flesh to eat it, I guess. I don't know. It never tells us anything, never tries communicating, which, again, that's, well, that's disturbing. Yeah, yeah. And the panel above it, it almost looks like the creature is, yeah, um, I don't know. It's like it has no bones or anything. It looks almost like an ink blot on on the stairs, mm. which just which uh, makes it that much uh, creepier. Um, but this is the whole thing. Like, what is what is it trying to do? Right? Is is it? I'm going to see what it takes to break humans in this brownstone and then take over the entire planet, or like after a year, wouldn't have it given up? Um, so. I think that I just have to be like you and say, okay, move on. Like, move on, <laughs> Ange. 
let's let's keep reading the story and see where we get. Yeah, it almost looks like the creature took a piss at the top of the stairs yeah. there too. <laughs> Page eighteen. <laughs> but uh, so this is an interesting part here again. I, not to beat up on Marv here. I think he, he, you know, there were no bad intentions with how he wrote any of the characters here. But we get Sylvia here and she starts crying. She's like, it's just there all the time watching. I told you it gives us everything we want and it never bothers us. Unless someone dies, then it does what you saw it do to Ted. I guess it figures the body's dead, so it's no use to anyone else. It's been terrible. Ray used to be such a strong man before this. Now he's not been interested in anything. And creepy Paul grabs her and she says... Hey, that wasn't an invitation. And he goes, can't blame a guy for trying. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. really, really, dude? Come on, yeah, man. And, and it's it's interesting, I agree, because in this panel now where she says that wasn't an invitation, still, it's not like she's fighting. She has like one leg slightly lifted in that sort of like 1950s yes. when a girl gets kissed, like they raise that one leg. Yep. So you wonder if like she is is like really broken on the inside that that she would be fine with whatever is about to happen. Yeah. Almost as if maybe if he tried to be a little more uh, gentle or suave about it, that she would be okay with having sex with him, which is kind of creepy. Very creepy. <laughs> yeah. So he grabs his gun and he goes, and I got to try doing something. And I'm thinking, what's he, I thought he was going to do something to her, but he uses the pistol to try to smash the window and he goes, I'm not going to wind up being that damn thing's housebroken pet. But he sees the window will not smash. So, again, here we, we got to know this thing's got some, you know, some kind of crazy powers that either it's it won't allow them to break the window or maybe he just did break the window. But in his mind, he thinks it didn't break, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're trapped. Uh, mm. And and she told him that I think that like earlier or um, uh, I think somebody said, you know, they tried to break the window that first night they were killed. Um, so mm -hmm. he kind of knows that they're trapped, but he's desperate. Right. And he's an act first, think second kind of a guy. Yeah. And he right away sees a telephone. He's like, oh, the phone, I'm going to call somebody. And, <laughs> you know, you, you don't really get this nowadays, but you used to pick up a phone. And if you dialed the wrong number, you got a message. A, a woman's voice would say, sorry, the number you have dialed is not working, a working number. And it's not. <laughs> And he's like, hell, that's impossible. I called my mother. She's always home. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> it, it really is. Like his first inclination was to call his mommy. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I'm thinking, when's the last time you saw your mom, pal? You've been in and out of prison how many times? You're here, you're there, you're, you know, attacking people, shooting people. I feel like it's been a long time since he's probably seen his mother. How do you know she didn't drop dead yesterday, dude? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he gets pissed off. And he goes to go busting out of her apartment. And then Ray says, Sylvia. And she says, Ray, what is it? And he goes, I want out too. So I guess, you know, again, this is kind of weird. Like a guy that came in there, pointed a gun at you, your wife, your kid, almost tried to like, well, not almost, basically tried to rape your wife. And he's yeah. just like, hey, I'm going to get out of here with this guy. What? Yeah. Yeah. Ray Ray's is messed up. Ray yeah. is broken, right? And, and I think that, uh, you know, something has finally spurred him, which I guess is good. But to to be to follow Paul instead of just doing something on your own uh, just shows you that, you know, it's been a rough year for that guy. Yeah. And he just starts running around this apartment building looking for a way out. And he does uh, open one uh, A, which, uh, you know, that's where uh, Joe Lynn, this uh, young girl, I don't know, maybe what is she, 10, 12? Yeah. 
and her dad that is uh i believe he's the uh like scientist isn't he yes dr kennedy um, yeah. yeah yeah so this is an interesting little uh segue here so you know who are you the doctor says to him and he goes never mind just never mind and he goes gotta be someone and he opens one of the doors in two two a nobody's there two b and gotta be god there's the creature inside two b and it's just looking at him but he starts cowering like you know he, like he's super super scared right yeah yeah and he, it's he doesn't know what to do because he's like you want me to shoot you don't you Maybe the others don't, but I can see what you're after. You want to make us look like idiots, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. he, but even his body language shows. It's like you said, he's used to being in charge. They say earlier, and I think in the first uh, issue, he likes power, and he is powerless, and he doesn't know how to respond. Just the body language in that panel when he's looking at the at the thing, he's like cowering almost. Yeah. So that last panel on this page, what do you think of this? He busts into. The old guy Murphy with his shotgun. He busts in there because he, he feels like the, the creature's going to try to kill him. I don't know why he'd think that way because, you know, he's already seen and been told it doesn't, unless you try to escape, I guess maybe in a way he is trying to escape, but yeah, it, you know, unless you're dead, basically, it doesn't try to kill you. But he panics and, you know, busts into Murphy's apartment here. And what do you think of Murphy and his missus here? <laughs> I was like shades of Norman Bates, right? Like mm. uh, there, there's Mrs. Murphy, her skeleton sitting in the chair. And he had just said like, don't me and the missus are watching Merv Griffin, right? So this guy has <laughs> also clearly lost it, right? He is talking to his dead wife um, as if she is alive. Yeah, so. she's just there in like a, a pile of bones. Like uh, yeah. it's really, it's really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, Norman Bates, Norman Bates kind of stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So while he's kind of, you know, talking to Murphy here, uh, Ray comes up from behind with, I think it's like a wrench or something like that. and absolutely clobbers him and knocks him out. And then that's uh, uh, Ray is about to exit the uh, story here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know. Um, I'm surprised it got the Comics Code Authority symbol on it with what he does, which is basically on page, blows his own head off with Brooks's gun. Yeah, that really, I was not expecting that uh, when I read this the first time. I was like, wait, what? I thought, well, if the guy was that, you know, mentally broken, uh, again, it's, it's a sad fact, but it is a fact that, you know, that happens. Some people take their lives when they just can't take it anymore mentally and that's what ray does here and he does it right in front of his wife and his son and murphy and paul too yeah yeah i mean how how horrible that you do that in front of your kid right i mean that oh. that is just really that's just you know horrifying it's just crazy. yeah it's nasty and as if that wasn't nasty enough here comes the creature oh man yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, they say it's not terribly hungry. Right. It just ate that drug addict. He goes, but it will eat. And it just sort of gets on top of uh, Ray and, and, and eats him. Yeah. It rolls right over the top of him. And at one point in the middle panel there on the bottom, you see his hand still sticking out, Ugh. his like flesh covered hand. And then all of a sudden, there's nothing left but bones. And then, Paul, I'll kill you. Do you hear me? You filthy, stinking monster. I'll kill you. <laughs> Gross. Really, really gross. Really gross. 
Yeah. So again, you know, this is again, like we we're saying, it's a huge departure from what we'd seen in the first storyline. Interesting and some things to think about and talk about, but you know, definitely a, a huge departure. So, uh, all right, well, let's move on to uh, Night Force number ten. If you're ready, I'm completely ready. So this is uh, cover date May 1983, and again, Gene Colan, Bob Smith cover here. So, what do you think of this cover? This cover is very interesting. There are a couple things I like about it, and a couple things I don't really like about it. But uh, you first. Yeah, I'm going to tell you of the three issues that we've covered, this is my favorite cover because okay. um, I just love the point of view, right? Because we're kind of yeah. looking through a broken ceiling. We're looking down. We're looking at three people that are clearly trying to like get out of right uh, escape because there's Paul with a flashlight, um, and uh, but around the periphery of the broken piece of ceiling, you see the clawed hand and the tentacles of the alien. So again. This could easily be a horror anthology cover, right? Like there's mm-hmm. something in the ceiling that is going to drop down and kill you that is inhuman. So um, I just love that looking down perspective. I just think that that is the that's really, really interesting and grabbed my eye. But yeah, um, the- you need to hear what doesn't work for you. I want to hear what you have to say. I definitely wish they would have chosen either more colors a, a, a more more varied palette here or just a different color other than the blue i don't know mm-hmm. why it doesn't work like i almost wish maybe because the the background here like the characters are yellow and then a little bit of shadow right and then uh everything like all the it's almost like they're in either a, a basement or an attic or something like that and all the the toys and chairs and a bird cage all that stuff is brown and then the carpeting and everything is like an orange color. I just feel like the colors could be a little bit better here. And then even the tentacles, I don't know if it's a, a good thing to do like a close-up on them like that because they just look a little off to me. Like I said, it's just maybe it's because they are tentacle-shaped, but they're not actually tentacles. They're something from another world, so yeah. I don't know. But it's a good cover. It's a very good cover. I think it's probably... Um, oh, boy. You know, all three of the covers are ones I really like. I probably like eight the best, and then the the next two, you know, nine and ten are both a tie for me. Okay. But yeah, I do really like eight a lot. That one really, really grabs me. Yeah, yeah. But this one's good, too. Like I said, they're all good. I'll never talk bad about Gene, even if, you know, he did do something bad. I just, I don't have it in me. (laughs) So, all right, well, this is, again, Chapter 3, The Monster in Us, uh, of uh, the storyline Beast and Marv Wolfman script, Gene Colan pencils, Bob Smith inks, Michelle Wolfman colors, and letters are by John Costanza. So it looks like it's pretty much, you know, always going to be Wolfman, Colan, Smith, Wolfman, but then uh, the letterer seems to change back and <laughs> forth. <laughs> That's about it with these. So, all right, well, this one says, Paul Brooks finally discovers the secret to defeating the monster that has been holding them captive. And he sure does, but, you know, there's a catch. <laughs> um, so, all right, well, what about this one? Another excellent splash page here by Gene. Uh, I love, uh, not only it's the Baron here, but I also love uh, a lot of, you know, really interesting things about this uh, splash page. So what do you think? Yeah, you know, he's uh, he's crouched over. He's, he's like, picking a flower in, in what they say is his garden. But I sort of like the flower that he plucks off the stem that is remaining almost looks like a hand, uh, uh, mm-hmm. which which I think adds to like just the mystery of, of this guy. 
Um, but uh, but I definitely like the way the Baron is portrayed in, in this picture. This is just really a, a good shot of him. Yeah, the Baron looks excellent. Like you said, it looks like a hand there uh, where he pulled this flower from. And then I absolutely love, you know, the monster in us there on that page. That looks really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which well, I guess is, is Marv, again, trying to say, like, if we don't fight against things, maybe there's a monster in us. Um, you know, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty ambitious stuff here by Marv. I think I've said that already, but uh, but good stuff. Yep, for sure. And then, you know, like we said, it's it's a switch back to Miss Conrad here with uh, Merlin and uh, our buddy, the Baron. And, you know, she kind of is just like asking him about what he does. And she's like, you don't like to talk about your cases, do you? And he says, not particularly. There are so many more fascinating topics to discuss. And she says, but I'm worried. Can this person you sent actually kill the creature? And he says, frankly, Miss Conrad, I don't know. The more I learn about your beast, the more I despair. But what about the others? My friends, will they die? Is there any hope for them to get free? Please tell me you've got to. And he says, my dear, all I can say is I will certainly do my best. And I certainly hope Mr. Brooks will do the same, he thinks to himself. So really cool stuff. I do want to shout out page three here, though. This is my favorite page of the entire uh, comic book. So uh, what do you think of page three here? You know, it's funny. It is my second favorite page. I have that down in in my uh, in my notes, um, and uh, I just think it is completely wonderfully moody. It's like a film noir. It's pouring outside. The angles that Jean draws, like looking down upon this brownstone, and then at a different angle looking into the windows. I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, shout out to Michelle Wolfman here too. The colors here. It's not a huge variation in colors, but what she chose to do looks absolutely fantastic. I think that, you know, really, uh, that's like the, the cherry on top of the Sunday here. It was already really good, but that made it excellent. Yeah. I mean, there's there's detail and stuff, too. I mean, when you see there's an overhead shot of the, the brownstone, there's like a skylight. Oh, it's just, man, this page just whew, really uh, original artwork. If anybody has this page out there that's listening, uh. Uh, please send it to me. I'll some way, somehow, maybe I have an alien here that can conjure up anything you want. I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, so we, we see into the uh, apartment here, uh, 4B and it's Sylvia and her son. And then, uh, there's a uh, Paul standing there gun in hand still. And she says, he's dead. I can't believe Ray killed himself. I didn't think he could. And, uh, Paul says, you don't seem all that broken up about it. Lady. Didn't you two get along? And she goes, Yeah. We still loved each other, despite what that thing down there did to us, which I think is interesting because, you know, again, I think Marv is really trying to hammer down the point here that after a year of just totally being manipulated and controlled by this creature, uh, even people that did maybe love each other at one time are just totally like, oh, yeah, he's dead. You know what I mean? They're 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 very numb. Yes. And, and, uh, again, the, the, the following page, her dialogue sort of says, you know, I guess Ray's killing himself. It just seemed natural, right? We've been living with that beast, living with horror, living with death. And then here's the big, here's the line that stuck uh, stuck out to me. We all have some natural mechanism inside us that allows us to accept even the worst conditions. I guess it's survival, learning how to make do, right? You know, that, Mm -hmm. that these guys are just like, well, if my options are to, you know, somehow become numb and live or 
die, right? I'm just going to learn how to live. Yeah, and it is interesting. After, you know, she talks and he's listening and listening and listening. And then all of a sudden she says, all we know is your name, Paul Brooks. But who are you? And he says, none of your business, lady. Just none of your damned business, which is interesting. I feel like, you know, he's either in a situation he's not going to be able to get out of alive. Or if he does, it seems like he's like wanted by the police and always on the run anyway. He he acts like, you know, a bit of a tough guy and that he enjoys being like, I don't know, almost like a sadist. But why won't he tell her about it? It is that is an interesting scene there. Yeah. You know, you think that he would brag about it, right? Because Mm -hmm. he would want to let her know how powerful he is, but he doesn't Um, or he doesn't say it out loud. We do hear about his history. Yeah. Oh, boy. So page five, he goes through, you know, a, a very quick uh, uh, oral and pictorial history of his life of being a kid and being a hoodlum and going to prison. And he goes, he remembers prison, remembers the other guys, the older guys, the bigger guys, remembers the pain, the degradations. So, yeah, we know what happened to Paul in prison. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I called this in my notes like the world's worst who's who page, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because this is like a who's who's page for Paul Brooks as you hear about all of the things that he's done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, he remembers how it didn't horrify him as much as make him tougher, right? You know, he was going to get back at the world. Yeah, and I found this next page here, six, interesting as well. So while he was having those thoughts, you know, he tries to outwardly seem like he's happy about the decisions he's made in life. But I think we obviously can see he isn't. And he slams the door shut, walks out into the hallway. And then <laughs> this woman, she says, hi, remember me, Millie Cohen? I remember you. And he goes, what do you want? She puts her arms around him and says, a real man. Hank hasn't been a real man for a year now. You fit the bill. You want to love me. And he goes, if I wanted someone in this godforsaken cesspool, it wouldn't be you. Lady, you make me sick. And he like pushes her back up against the wall. (laughs) Yeah, he's a tough nut to crack because you think that he seems low enough that he would give into this or he would. Mm -hmm. But he he like he reacts with violence. It does. It looks like he pushes her or maybe even hits her with the gun. Um, yeah, uh, it's he I, he's a tough nut to crack this guy. Yeah. And then he says, what is it with everyone here? You get the first chance to quit caring about yourself and you grab for it. This place is. And he goes, huh? Because we hear a scream and he goes running downstairs and he sees uh, this uh, young girl, Jolyn Kennedy. And he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Jolene Kennedy. It's my dad. I can't find him anywhere. Something's happened to him. I can tell. He went out, you know, to walk just up and down the stairs like he does every day for exercise. But he always comes back in an hour. Something's wrong. you got to help me find him. And this, you know, scumbag of a guy that we've learned to really not like and hate is like, OK, like, I'll uh, I'll go help you. And they start searching for her father. And <laughs> this is funny. So at one point. He goes, okay, come on. I'm going to prove we can still do something. There's got to be a way out of here somehow. And then all of a sudden we see uh, our buddy uh, Murphy with his shotgun again come out of nowhere and start some trouble. And uh, Paul says, well, here, this is an interesting. He goes, 
it looks like the speech bubble is going to Paul, but I think it was supposed to be going to Murphy here on page eight, right? Where it says, Jolene Kennedy, your father has become the devil's fool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be Murphy. Yeah, and then he says, he has stolen my fire and taken it on his hellish crusade. And he goes, what do you mean by that, Murphy? Talk, old man, or I'll twist your stinking head off. And Murphy says, he hunts our savior. He tries to destroy the beast. And Jolene says, Daddy's been working on it, working in his lab. And somebody says, lab? Is he some sort of scientist? And she says, no, he's a doctor. He wouldn't tell me what he was doing. Well, they all go running to look for him. And they're opening door after door after door, and they can't find him. And then all of a sudden, they find Mark, the other junkie, and he's dead. But here's my question. If he's dead, it looks like he probably OD'd there, because we see a hypodermic needle and some drugs there, which yeah. I'm, su I'm surprised it took a year. Yeah. But you know, if they got every drug they want at any, you know, the snap of a fingers, I, again, that's, that does surprise you that it took a year. People's bodies just can't take that much abuse, constant abuse. Like they were probably, you know, people that are addicted to drugs. They have to sometimes wait till their next fix where this guy had one at the snap of his fingers. Exactly. Exactly. I want to go back to page eight, if I can. Uh -huh. So when, when Murphy says you're, um, he has stolen, so he's talking about Dr. Kennedy, and he says, Dr. Kennedy has stolen my fire and taken it on his hellish crusade. What do you think his fire is? I mean, we're yeah. going to get to what Kennedy is making at the end, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I wasn't sure what he meant by that either, because I thought, you know, at first I thought, oh, wait a minute, was Murphy supposed to be the one that was like a scientist or a doctor or whatever? But then in the next panel, you know, Joe Lynn says that, you know, oh, no, my daddy's been working in his lab. So I wasn't quite sure about that. Yeah. Right. So so Dr. Kennedy is stolen some fire. But then I really you know, we've talked about how different people have reacted to this alien. Right. And what if we think about this as a metaphor for political, like giving into political dictators, this guy says he hunts our savior, which there are people that like end up you know, in the thrall of charismatic, you know, fascist people. And so I think that's what we're trying to see what Murphy is, is that he like calls this alien our savior because it gives them everything that they need. So, so it, you know, again, Marv is giving all of these different personalities to, to these people. Like, I almost wonder if Marv was like, I'm going to do another six issue story to really flesh all this stuff out. And DC was like, no, you have two and a half issues. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to pick the bits that I like. Yeah. I, I kind of think that might've happened as well. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised. Yeah. You and I talked off mic a little bit for a, you know, a minute or two before we recorded here. And I kind of think that might've happened to Marv here. He had some more ideas for this story and even the next one, maybe, but, had to cut some things short because, uh, you know, he was told that the, the title was going to be ending with uh, 14. But yeah, uh, along the lines of that whole like savior stuff, it reminds me, uh, and this was way later on, but I can't remember the guy's name, but that guy that had that cult going on down in like Texas somewhere. Oh, yeah. David. That, yeah, that guy. Waco. Yeah, he, yeah. It kind of made me think of that for some reason. And again, the guy that just it's just this one guy here that's kind of for lack of a better term, worshiping this crazy alien creature, but kind of made me think of that a little bit. Yeah. But wow. Again, page nine, where I, we see the, 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 the junkie, you know, died. Wow. Page 10. How about that? Gene did something really interesting here with uh, the storm going on outside this building. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, you know, this was my third favorite page, which means we still haven't gotten to my favorite page, but you're <laughs> right. We're outside the building, we're outside, and you see a face kind of made out of like the lightning or the rain of the storm that kind of looks like this alien's face. Mm-hmm. I just, and I did, I, just brilliant. Yeah, and I didn't know if he was just doing that to be cool or there was some significance to it, but the caption box reads, Outside the Thunder Howls, Baying like some ravenous wolf as the rain continues to wash across Manhattan, knowing perhaps the evil that resides uh, that resides there, hoping perhaps to cleanse it before it is too late. So again, I love purple prose. I mean, it, you can, <laughs> I, yeah. I could I could read a book of like seventies and eighties purple prose written by guys like Barb and you know Engelhart and Roy and all that. They could just make a book out of that, and I would read. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This page kind of reminds me a lot of. Um, like this page feels like it could have been in the first story, right? Where we saw all the Mm -hmm. demons running out of the sewers or evil faces out of cigarette smoke and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's cold and it's, it's wonderful. And you're right. Mixed with those words. It's really fantastic. And then page 11, more of the same great, uh, caption boxes here and great visual storytelling by Gene as well, where we see, uh, William Kennedy and he's got, now he's got a shotgun, so maybe that's what that guy meant by fire. Oh, maybe that's it. He stole my fire. He stole the shotgun from me. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it was really kind of weird. I thought that's a weird way to put it, but oh man, this is great. He he's creeping around with the shotgun looking for this thing. But then I'm thinking to myself, he knows guns can't hurt this thing. So what good is that gonna do? So I'm not sure what he was thinking here, or if you know the creature just catches him by surprise. And this is a wild scene here. Yeah, yeah. It, it. I feel like this is where the idea for the cover came, because now we're seeing the reverse angle. This guy's walking around with the shotgun. We're looking up at the rafters of the basement, and there's the creature on top of it, and it just wraps one of the tentacles around this guy's head on, on page 11. Mm-hmm. Really creepy horror stuff. Yeah, and the guy's face, too, like, oh, God, it's got me. And <laughs> I assumed he was dead right away. But it's interesting. He, you know, he looks like he might be dead, but <laughs> they, they go running in and you hear no, no. And he goes, he's alive still, but he's hanging upside down. But we can't see how he's hanging. But we do eventually see a rope on his ankle. Now, I don't know why the creature did this, but it hung him upside down. And he says, weapon, weapon. We we are the weapon. And Paul says, shut up, you idiot. Don't talk. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. But yeah, what happened? And Paul says, no, the damn fool's lucky, that's all. And he goes, weapon, the syringe? You're crazy. If bullets can't penetrate its skin, this needle certainly won't. And he keeps saying, weapon, we, we are the weapon. So eventually, uh, we do figure it out here. But at this point, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. Is he going to die? Is he just unconscious? Like, did the creature just choke him? Like, what in the world happened? But here we go with uh, our uh, Koresh follower here. He ends up showing back up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the angel has, again, Mr. Murphy, the angel has been good to us, stranger. It has fed us, it has closed us, it has answered all of our needs, it has been sent to us by the Lord God himself. This guy's Oof. brought in hook, line, and sinker. Yes, and I again, I feel like maybe some of this was commentary on the times, because I know at this point you had uh, televangelists like crazy on television. Yeah. So you did have... Uh, quite a few different writers, you know, Alan Moore, obviously Marv here that would, uh, I don't want to say take shots at them, but I feel like try to maybe expose them for who they really were with stuff in comics. Yeah. 
it's it's because he's going to kill right he basically has the gun pointed at paul saying like i would rather kill you mm-hmm. than have you kill this thing so like how we turn on each other right yeah and paul says to him that thing's got to die before it kills us all and uh, murphy says god cannot die stranger only his children born of weak flesh take one step further and you shall see i speak the truth and paul says someone get that dork out of my way <laughs> I, I, I love that that's just great but all of a sudden, they hear a creak, and did you hear that? Look up there in the rafters, and there's the creature up in the rafters, but uh, Paul jumps at Murphy. Okay, bozo, I'm sick of you. I'm breaking this damn gun over your freaking neck, and he grabs a shotgun, but turns around, and instead of shooting at Murphy, he shoots up at the rafters, and I don't know if he's just trying to shoot the creature or shoot at the rafters to get it to fall down or what he's trying to really do there, but you know, it, it kind of like makes this... Uh, quick getaway and goes down the stairs from up there and you know everybody's running around like what's going on what's happening and paul says where is it and uh oh the guy from the beginning of the story is his name uh mark i think that's an is it mark i can't remember i think it is mark he says uh i don't know but look the door's open and everybody's like what and paul says open i can get out of here move it i'm leaving and mark grabs him and says no you can't None of us can. And this is where uh, Marv really kicks it into high gear, the, the paranoia that these people have now, that this 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 alien, but also the, you know, again, the the allegory of, you know, uh, somebody taking care of you and you not wanting to and being afraid to do something for yourself. It really kicks into high gear, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he, he, We don't understand what's out there. You know, it's awful. It's better in here. This thing doesn't hurt us and it leaves us alone. Now, how they can say that when in the last 24 hours, two people have been eaten by it, right? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, it's hard. But you're right. It's like, uh, you know, Stockholm Syndrome or something like yeah. that. It's like, you know, um, uh, we can just like, shut the door and live here and not, you know, take part in, in real life. Um, uh, and to, to, to live is scary. And if, and, you know, cause then you have to make decisions that can go wrong and things like that. And so none of them leave, even the, even the woman, Sylvia is like, heaven help me. I can't leave. They're like trapped in a prison of their own making at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. But, but let me ask you, do you, why do you think the door opens? The 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 only thing I can think of is on the page before where the beast is in the in the rafters. It says um, he's observing these sorry excuses, transmitting its observations across half a universe to its homeworld base. Uh, almost never have his people found such a weak species. So maybe it like finally learned enough that it's like okay, we have our test subjects. Uh, I'll send all the information I need back home. Uh, but again, that's just me trying to put some pieces together. Yeah. And like you said, maybe Marv was going at a bigger story here, a longer story, but had to cut it short. So he kind of left these ambiguous things in here, but yeah, it really, I don't want to say it doesn't make sense, but it's just very, very ambiguous. Yeah. But I love Paul. He grabs Mark. And again, we've seen that for a little, like a, a time or two, Sylvia seemed to still have a little bit of fight left in her. But at this point, it must be all gone because Mark won't go out. And, you know, Paul just can't understand it. And he grabs him and he looks at Sylvia and says, lady, you talk sense into this idiot before I kill him. And that's when she says what you you said. I I can't. Heaven help me. I can't. Like, she just she's done. She's just given up. 
Yeah, you know, and it's funny. It could be that it's one of those things like she really, really wanted to escape. But then when that became an actuality, then she's hit by what a big deal it would be. Um, yeah, and, fear and, and paranoia. Was, yes. And then here comes the creature down the steps. And of course, you know, like we've said, it's, you know, it's it's not going to do anything to you unless you try to escape or you die. And Paul says, that damn thing's gone crazy. It's coming after us. For God's sake, let's get out of here. And then somebody jumps at it. And it says, the syringe, use it. We're the weapon. We're the weapon. Don't daddy, Jolyn says. So it's her father that jumps at the creature and just like slams right into it. But again, he's not dead and he's not trying to escape, but it eats him. Yeah. Yeah, it, it something has changed in the, in the monster because a couple of pages before they say like they can see the contempt that it has for them in its eyes. So now I think it it's almost as if its mission is over. So he and and he's sick of being. He probably is as sick of these people as they are of it. You know. So, uh, <laughs> but you're right. And what's different about this is that it's uh, you know it seemed like it took a while to eat the other people here. This guy dives, and then within seconds, it's just bones. And again, that hair on the skull, that is always Ooh. creepy to me. Always creepy. Yeah, so gross. And Paul flips out and just starts shooting at it again with his pistol. I've had enough with you idiots. He didn't have to die. None of us has to die. You can all rot in hell if that's what you want, but I'm getting out of here. And he heads for the door, and he goes, what are you waiting for? Come on. And again, I won't go out there. It's safer here, safe for all of us. And he goes, damn, I don't believe it. So with that pause of trying to still help those people get out this, you know, horrible scumbag human being. He sealed his own fate because it grabs him by the arm and starts pulling him back in and he's shooting at it and going crazy. But all of a sudden, I don't know where he got the needle from. If it was laying there on the ground, he grabs the needle and he goes, it got me someone help me, help me. And he's trying to stab it with the syringe and he goes, it won't penetrate God, somebody help me. And then all of a sudden he has a moment of clarity and says, hold it, hold it. He said to use the syringe but that we are the weapons. This has got to be what he meant. This has got to be it. So he sticks the syringe into his own arm, and it says he squeezes on the syringe and feels the warm fluids uh, oozing through his arm, then chest, then heart. He feels his heart. Um, he feels the heat, I'm sorry, uh, merging with his bloodstream and coursing throughout his body. And the creature is like choking him and almost looks like it's going to start eating him and has a coil wrapped around him and just starts choking and crushing him. And he says, run, run to the other people. Of course, they don't run anywhere. But the creature then does, you know, try to start like eating and dissolving him. But that's kind of what the doctor was saying. You know, it, it you would you can stop this creature, but only by you ingesting this, whatever this concoction was and it eating you and the concoction. Yeah, that's it. You can't break its skin to administer the poison, but you can poison it by poisoning yourself, right? So, so Paul, you know, this is a last heroic act. Here's this guy who suddenly is like, okay, I'm going to die, but I'm going to help these people. He yells at them to run, and he, he administers this poison, killing himself. Um, and so... Uh, you know, uh, it's just he's a he's a fascinating character because can you say, OK, this is like a redeeming act for this guy who has been so horrific the whole time or or is he just a bad guy? You know, so uh, so that really, I think, is is a great that's definitely one of the things that I I did a lot of like chin stroking 
you know, uh, yeah, because he's been reprehensible this entire time, but um, but he does this thing at the end, which I felt was pretty interesting. Yeah, and I love how in the last scene, they're all just sitting around this like purple burning stain on the floor of where Paul and this monster were, and a couple of the tentacles are still uh, partially there. And it says, uh, it is over. The beast is dead. Paul Brooks is dead. Of the 17 people who had lived in this ordinary New York brownstone, only six are alive. Alive, but still trapped in this prison, still trying to survive by never leaving their homes again. What's out there frightens them. The unknown scares them. Hope repels them. So that's that's really crazy. I love it, though. Yes. Thus, in the end, the beast had won. So even though it's dead, they they are just shattered. Yeah, they're basically like, I don't want to say schizophrenic, but they're they're probably going to be in an institution the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're um, uh, they're broken on the inside. They they're they just can't even act. So. And in that very second, the Baron's like, you know, ESP or whatever clicks on and he says, it's over, Miss Conrad, over. She says, it's gone. And he says, it's gone. She says, they're alive. And he goes, only a few, only six. And then he pets Merlin and says, yes, Merlin, sadly, I know that. They're living, Miss Conrad, living, but they are hardly alive. She says, still, thank you, Baron. Now it's up to them, isn't it? He says, indeed, Miss Conrad. What happens next is up to them. Well, Merlin... One case is solved, and my newest one has already begun. And this is one I must personally handle, along with an old friend of ours, Vanessa Van Helsing. Next issue, Mark of the Beast. <laughs> yeah. Great and great stuff. Great stuff and great hook, because I think both of us agreed that Vanessa was probably one of the more or most interesting characters of that first arc. Um, mm-hmm. So I read this, and I was like, I'm glad she's coming back. I will say page 21, um, cause, just because I mentioned it before, that's my favorite page. The page where all those tentacles are coiling around Paul. Like, if I could own one page, it's that. That's that's the stuff of nightmares. Oh, yeah, that is. That's really creepy. And again, he's choking and killing him, and there's all these people looking around in that one panel that are, like, right by him, seeing him, like, struggling to kind of live, and then there's bones around, too. Like, a skull yeah. looks like it's there. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so gross, so. All right, man. Well, that wraps up this storyline and this episode here. So overall, what did you think of this storyline? Like we said, a lot of things to think about, but don't go down too many rabbit holes, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's one of the, I would love uh, to talk to Marv Wolfman and see if he was like, I really wanted that to be six issues because I really planned a, a long burn about this. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I think much like the first storyline, there's a lot to think about here. This isn't this isn't like, oh, there's a Twilight Zone twist. Isn't that a cute little twist ending? There's a lot to digest here and a lot to think about. And um, and that's what I think I, lo- I like about comics, you know, is that I read these, these I've, you know, this story at least three times in preparation to try to sort of, you know, I was taking notes. I was reading it the first time, all that sort of stuff. And every time I was like, huh, you know, and if you're sitting there and stroking your chin and going, huh, I think the author's done their job. Yeah, and I mean, uh, like like we said too, that the first storyline was so good, and it was so much longer. I, I think it just sits in everybody's brain that's just like you know it was so good, and it's so much better than this storyline. But I think this one's just different, and maybe being cut short didn't do it any favors. And the contrast with the first storyline, it can kind of put you in a you know slightly more negative uh, headspace about it. But I think it's an interesting story. I mean, it had some really cool things about it 
course, the artwork was excellent. And again, these caption boxes sometimes with the moody artwork was just uh, unreal. So again, it's I, I did like the first storyline better than this one, but not that this one was bad. It just was so much different, you know, so much of a contrast. I, I don't think I was really kind of ready for that. But if this was like a, a story on its own and could have been expanded probably to where uh, Marvel would have wanted it to be, you know, from beginning to end, I think I would uh, enjoy this one quite a bit as well. I'm with you. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this one, my friend. So uh, we'll we'll have at least one more episode, possibly two. We'll see how things go. We have four more issues to cover, you know, the last storyline. Um, if we can get it in in one, we'll try. But if not, we might have to do two with, you know, 11 and 12 and then 13 and 14 to wrap up. But definitely look uh, forward to more. And we're going to finish off Night Force here, right? Yeah, and I can't wait to read the next story. I will tell you that I peeked at the next issue, at least the first half of it, and already I'm grabbed. Oh, yeah, I did. I wanted to keep going because uh, originally we talked about maybe doing that first issue along with this as well, which would have broken up the storylines again. You know, so that wasn't really something we wanted to do. But I read all of 11 and took notes on it and everything already. And, oh, I can't wait to go to 12. It looked, it was, it's really sucked me in. Yeah, can't wait. Awesome. So, all right, my friend, if anybody's uh, looking to find you out there, uh, where can they uh, seek you out? At least for the time being, and probably for at least the foreseeable future, I'm still on Twitter at DrAnge70. But if you're looking for um, more uh, reviews on comics that are a little bit more in-depth, you can go to my website, which is Comic Box Commentary uh, at Blogspot. And everybody needs to go there and check that out because you have classic stuff, new stuff. You are, you know, constantly uh, getting a new material on there, which is fantastic. I always marvel at you and, uh, of course, Martin Gray, too, our buddy there. At, uh, you know, you guys can uh, still, you know, plowing forward with a lot of new materials. And you're both very honest about, I know, what you think of it, which is great, too, because there's a lot of puff pieces out there about <laughs> comics but you guys are very honest with your opinion and 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 very uh very good at uh, analyzing the newer stuff plus like i said you have a lot of older stuff on there too so if anybody's looking for a classic stuff it's on there as well right yeah yeah thanks for the plug mostly you around the superman family but uh but i every so often i dabble yeah big focus on supergirl and like you said superman family but every once in a while there'll be something else thrown in there as well but definitely a great site gotta hit that one up so all right well once again thank you my friend uh, it's been a pleasure and like i said uh, everybody uh, stay tuned for some more so uh, we'll be back uh, in the very near future Don't get too close. 
that's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Ange for being on. Uh, definitely check out his blog. Follow him on Twitter. You know, he talks about older comics, newer comics, films, all sorts of good stuff. So definitely uh, get out there and give him a follow and check out his blog. Especially if you're into the Superman family and specifically Supergirl as well, uh, that character. So definitely uh, check out comicboxcommentary.blogspot.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.